Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, in less than three weeks, we will be digesting the outcome of the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, Of course, they set the stage for 2023 and 2024 in Washington and at our state capitol. Today, we continue our series of conversations with Iowa congressional candidates, Uh, All of Iowa's major party congressional candidates and uh, gubernatorial candidates have been invited to share their views here on River to River, and many have, uh, and we'll look forward to the coming weeks as well. Joining us this half hour, Iowa State Representative Christina Bohannon is with us, a longtime professor at the University of Iowa College of Law. She is challenging incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks in Iowa's newly drawn First Congressional District, that's roughly speaking the southeast corner of the state, including the cities of Iowa City, uh, Davenport, Oskaloosa, Clinton, Newton, Burlington, and Fort Madison. Welcome to our studio, uh, Representative Bohannon. Thank you so much, Ben. It's good to be here. Let's start off with some of the big issues uh, here. I'm sure you've been tackling questions out on the campaign trail uh, on these issues. Uh, This week, uh, President Biden vowed that if voters elect more Democratic senators and keep the U.S. House, he will send a bill to Congress to codify abortion protections into law. Specifically, what abortion protections would you support at a federal level? Thank you, Ben. Um, Roe versus Wade was the law of the land in the United States for nearly half a century before the Supreme Court overruled it this summer. And I would support codifying Roe versus Wade into federal law. It was the settled law here for so long. It's the law that people understand and know, and 70% of Americans support it. So um, I believe that we should codify uh, Roe versus Wade. I think some of the proposals on the other side are very disturbing. Uh, They truly do uh, ban abortion in an unprecedented way, proposing nationwide abortion bans. Uh, My opponent, Marionette Miller-Meeks, has uh, sponsored a Life at Conception Act that creates personhood for uh, embryos from the moment of, of conception. And it would ban all abortions from coast to coast with no exceptions for rape, incest, or to save the life of the pregnant person. Uh, That's according to the Cedar Rapids Gazette, who did a fact check on that bill. So I think that these are really disturbing developments. Um, You know, the other 15-week abortion ban that uh, is being uh, discussed by the Republicans uh, that they are pushing now is also uh, something that would ban abortion nearly two months earlier than uh, Iowa currently allows. And it would also allow states to Um, ban abortion even earlier than that if they so choose. So, for example, uh, Governor Reynolds' proposed six-week ban is something that uh, would be allowed under the other bill that the national Republicans are putting forward. So I think that there are some very dangerous bills here. You know, some of these bills would not even allow a physician to terminate an ectopic pregnancy, which by definition can never, ever be uh, a viable uh, child, and um, at the same time would put women 
women's lives at risk. Uh, you know, the other thing I just want to add to that is I think some of the rhetoric, uh, rhetoric around abortion has been very disturbing and divisive, and um, it's just fear-mongering. You know, my own opponent, Mil- Miller Meeks, has said uh, that the Democrats support um, abortion on demand up until birth and even after birth. Uh, That is a phrase that she has used multiple times on television. And um, frankly, I don't know what that means. Uh, I mean, I have never heard that. It sounds to me like she's actually suggesting that physicians are killing babies, fully born, developed, uh, healthy babies. And that is just um, not something anyone I know would ever do or ever support. I can't imagine a physician ever doing something like that. And I think that that kind of fear mongering is meant to deflect from her own proposals for very extreme abortion bans. But it is a very dangerous uh, rhetoric. Uh, that we're hearing now. Let me have you follow up here. The idea of late-term abortions there is controversial, certainly more than the the polling that you pointed to earlier uh, in Iowa and across the nation. What abortion restrictions would you support? Where do you draw the line? So like I said, I think we should go back to Roe versus Wade. That establishes a framework. Um, it Viability? Does Yes, correct. Viability. And that does allow states to enact certain types of restrictions on very late term abortions. And so, um, again, you know, I think that everybody's reinventing the wheel here, opening up controversies that we've had for, you know, that we had before Roe versus Wade was passed. But I would support simply going back to Roe versus Wade, no more, no less, uh, and then um, going from there and allowing states to uh, have some restrictions, um, you know, uh, after viability. If if Congress isn't in a position, isn't in Democratic hands, can't codify role, are there specific specific policies you would pursue as a congresswoman from Iowa to ensure reproductive health? So you know, I, I think that one thing is to really educate people about what all of this means. I think that there's a lot of confusion and, frankly, a lot of misinformation about abortion, as I mentioned before, with some of these phrases like abortion on demand until the day of birth or after birth. I mean, that is just, you know, clear fear-mongering and, and really confusing and disturbing to a lot of people. And that is putting people's lives at risk. Uh, and so I think that one thing we need to do is really educate people. I hope that we will be able to put something into federal law to establish those rights. The other thing, you know, along these same lines is contraception uh, because uh, Representative Miller Meeks actually voted against a bill to uh, allow women to choose their own forms of contraception. Uh, you know, some women can't take birth control pills uh, for different reasons, and those aren't even necessarily the most effective forms of birth control. So things like um, patches, IUDs, longer-term methods are really important. You know, when we're talking about trying to reduce unwanted pregnancies and abortion, it's very important that women be able to choose that form of contraception that works best and is safest for them. So I think that's another area we need to go. And unfortunately, uh, Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks voted against a bill that would guarantee women that right here in the United States in the year 2022. Representative uh, Christina Bohannon with us on this half hour. Let's switch to inflation. Of course, uh, Republicans uh, uh, talking about inflation a lot, and it's distressing to many Iowans, many Americans. What are your plans, should you be uh, elected to Congress, to address uh, inflation, higher costs, including those uh, gas prices? facing consumers. 
inflation is such an important issue, and, and Iowans are really struggling with it right now. Um, as I go all over southeast Iowa, I hear these stories. And, you know, um, this is something that really resonates with me. Uh, I uh, I grew up in a trailer off of a gravel road. You know, neither of my parents graduated high school. And it was it was really hard work just to make ends meet to put food on the table. And so um, I, I know people are struggling. I have felt that struggle. You know, when my dad lost his health insurance, uh, we lost everything. Uh, we couldn't perform, uh, afford his prescription drugs. Um, and, and it was always a struggle. Do we buy the drugs? Do we put the food on the table? Do we put gas in the car? So I really understand those struggles. Uh, we absolutely have to bring prices down. And I would uh, prefer an all-of-the-above approach to do that. Uh, first of all, I do support the release of uh, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and you know, so we do have to uh, use the resources we have at hand to bring those costs down immediately. Um, the other thing that we need to do, and this is on oil, it's on uh, pharmaceuticals, it's on groceries, uh, we have to hold uh, corporations responsible for price gouging. I mean, one thing that we see over the last few decades is the markup on products has gone up and up and up. Um, price gouging from corporations is a major problem. And, uh, you know, my opponent voted against a bill that would hold oil and gas companies accountable for corporate price gouging um, after having taken nearly $60,000 from the oil and gas industry. Um, so, you know, we, we she also voted against letting Medicare negotiate for lower drug prices. Um, after taking tens of thousands of dollars from the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, we have to get to the bottom of that. Um, and and we have a situation where corporate money uh, in politics has a huge distorting effect on how people are voting, on the messaging that we're seeing in this election. And, uh, you know, the fact is that when people take a lot of money from uh, corporate interests and other special interests, uh, they uh, will not uh, enact change. And and uh, we need change in Washington, D.C. We need to bring down costs for everyday working people. Uh, you know, this district, I think one thing that's really interesting to think about is this district is a district where the median income is about forty dollars to $45,000 a year. You know, those are working people, good working people. Uh, these are not pharmaceutical billionaires here. These aren't oil and gas executives. So, you know, when you have someone like my opponent who is, you know, voting in ways that seem to suggest she's representing a district with, you know, billionaires and, and oil and gas executives or pharmaceutical execs, you know, it's really disturbing. You know, we need to get back to supporting working people, to bringing costs down for them. Um, and my opponent has voted against every single thing that would bring down those costs for working people. About a half of our time has expired. I want to get to several other uh, items here with you. State Representative Christina Bohannon, a Democrat challenging incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks for Iowa, the seat at uh, Iowa's uh, newly drawn first congressional district. Let's uh, talk a little bit about climate change, the environment. Of course, it's uh, it has a lot to do. You mentioned fuel prices just a moment ago. Um, how does Iowa's biofuel industry fit into carbon reduction goals. Of course, uh, in the meantime, ethanol is big in Iowa, the industry, um, and but uh, is that the future uh, when we talk about uh, stemming climate change? And, and if not, what do we transition to and how? Yeah. Well, you know, 
right now, with inflation as high as it is and costs as high as they are, you know, we have to have an all-of-the-above approach. And and ethanol is an important industry for Iowa. Uh, I do support uh, year-round ethanol, allowing that to, to go, go forward. And uh, we'll always look for uh, markets for ethanol um, out in our country and in, in the world. Um, as we go forward, though, um, obviously, um, we, we are moving as a country more toward uh, renewable energy like uh, wind and solar and other uh, methods. What we need to do going forward is to take climate change seriously. Uh, my opponent actually sometimes uh, finds it difficult to say the words climate change uh, in public. Uh, but, you know, we have to take that very seriously. Um, we are going to see more devastation in Iowa. It's already affecting our agricultural economy with droughts, with severe heat days, uh, unpredictable growing seasons. Uh, this is going to be a major problem uh, for Iowa going forward. However, it is also a huge opportunity because one of the, there are two things that we can do where Iowa can be part of the solution to climate change. One is helping our farmers to be part of that solution. You know, they are resourceful. They know their business. Um, we can help give them the resources to uh, engage in sustainable practices like growing cover crops that can help sequester carbon. Uh, we can't put all of that burden on them through unfunded mandates, but we can help give them incentives and resources to help them do that. The other thing is renewable energy. Iowa is already a leader in renewable energy through wind and solar. That is a major growth area for us. It's a place where we can have really good manufacturing jobs here in the state. And so I fully support investing in that. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks voted against the Inflation Reduction Act that would actually increase funding for renewable energy. Uh, Representative Bohannon, are carbon pipelines the answer to making biofuels and specifically ethanol more climate friendly? With the carbon pipelines, uh, you know, it's really interesting. We get a mix of things there. You know, there are concerns about, you know, new jobs and things like that that might be brought. You know, we can have that conversation, but we can't do that until we deal with the elephant in the room, and that's the eminent domain issue. Um, I do not believe that we should force property owners, whether farmers or other property owners, to give up their property for a pipeline like this. If they agree to that, uh, then that's fine. That's their choice. But there are a lot of property owners in Iowa who feel that they are being forced to give up their property for a major corporate project. Uh, and uh, right now, I do not think that they should be forced to do that. I think that we need to make sure that this is a compelling public use. And right now, this looks like a major corporate project. Project with a real mix of, uh, of, of pros and cons. Last week, the U.S. House Committee investigating the January 6th uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol um, held what may be its last public hearing, the 9th. What would you do as a U.S. representative to ensure confidence in the committee's eventual findings, especially uh, among supporters of the former president, uh, who are less likely to be supporting you, I suppose? So, you know, we're seeing a lot of mix. I've talked to a lot of Republicans throughout this district who feel that their party has left them, who are very pro-democracy, who have been conservative on principle. They believe in uh, lower taxes, uh, pro-business policies, smaller government. And a lot of them are supporting me because they see uh, that um, their party has moved away from them and they do not support uh, the anti-democratic uh, kinds of uh, things 
things that that some uh, extreme Republicans are doing. You know, I think that um, in order to ensure uh, faith in our elections, we need to make sure that we have good elections. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of disturbing things that are happening out there. attempts to suppress the vote, to make it harder to vote. You know, that's the thing that's gotten the most attention. But I will tell you that there are some other major threats to our democracy that we have to take action on. One is to uh, we have to make sure that state legislatures, meaning state politicians, cannot substitute their own judgment for who should be our president over the political will of their own state. Uh, there are attempts around the, the, the country right now in different states to actually allow state politicians to substitute their own judgment and their own electors for who was voted for by popular vote in their state. Uh, the Electoral Count Act that was passed by the House of Representatives this past uh, you know, few months uh, would deal with that problem. You know, the, the Constitution does not deal, does not give states the power to substitute uh, their own judgment for the will of the people. And uh, that count would, that act would uh, prevent that from happening. Uh, Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks voted against uh, that act and against uh, protecting that from happening. And then the other thing that we really have to deal with is corporate money in our elections. I think that that is something that resonates across the board. I have heard a lot of support about that from Republicans, independents, and Democrats. The amount of dark money and corporate money in our politics has a huge distorting effect in this election and in all elections, and it's growing over time. Uh, Just to give you an example, uh, you know, the um, CLF uh, fund on the Republican side is spending $3 million in attack ads against me in in this district, $3 million of attack ads, and they're just false and they're misleading. But that amount of money can really make a difference in an election. It can, uh, it can, you know, confuse people, persuade them of something that absolutely isn't true. And the people who are benefiting from that are the people who are taking that money. What's an example of something in an attack ad that you would say is absolutely not true that's been launched at you? Right. So the idea that uh, that I would defund the police, you know, or that I support rioting, you know, there are these ads showing people throwing rocks through windows, um, you know, and rioting, and then they'll just put my face up there saying, you know, that I support these things or that my so-called allies support these things. You know, I am a law professor. I I believe in laws. I believe that they should be enforced. The idea that I support rioting and lawlessness is just ridiculous. But you know, when when you see that over and over and over, it plays to people's fears. And what's happening is that you have billionaires and corporate interests who are putting all of this money in these kinds of attack ads, and. As a result, a lot of times what happens is that people who take that kind of money get elected, and then, of course, they support that, and they reinforce that, and uh, they vote in ways that these billionaires and corporate interests want them to vote. So we will never see change. It reinforces it over over and over, and I will tell you that Democrats, independents, and Republicans, many of them all feel that we need major reform, and I support that. Uh, Let's talk about the southern border crisis. Recently, the U.S. reached to 2 million migrants arrested this year at the southern border. That's the most ever. Almost everyone in Congress uh, thinks the immigration system in the U.S. is broken, each party blaming the other, and that's been the case for, well, a long time. How well do you think uh, President Biden's policies have protected our southern border? 
I agree that our immigra- immigration system is broken. Um, and it's it's interesting you said that both parties uh, blame each other. I blame both parties. Um, you know, I think that neither party has done well with immigration. I think that uh, on the Democratic side, frankly, sometimes uh, Democrats don't acknowledge the problems at the border. They don't acknowledge the unique challenges that border states face with the influx of so many people. Um, it can be heartbreaking for people at the border to watch as people try to come to this country and then die in trucks at the border, um, or they make it into uh, the state and there just aren't the resources and services to accommodate so many people. Uh, On the other hand, the Republicans have really uh, not come to the table in good faith. They blame Democrats, and including President Biden, but uh, they are not coming to the table in good faith. They keep using this as as a political wedge issue, you know, year after year, election after election, including uh, you know, engaging in stunts like sending, uh, you know, some of these immigrants across the country uh, it, to places um, where they don't even know where they're going just with the shirts on their backs. And so, you know, I think we need both parties to come together in good faith and do comprehensive immigration reform. Back to my question. Very briefly, uh, please, uh, Representative President Biden, is he doing enough to protect our southern border? No, no, he isn't. And and, and like I said, I'm, I'm uh, you know, critical of both parties uh, on this issue. I do think that we need a secure border. Uh, I think that we need to uh, come to the table and do comprehensive immigration reform, including a path to citizenship for very hardworking, law-abiding immigrants. You know, as I go throughout this district and I talk to business leaders and community leaders, it's very clear that they want appropriate Law, lawful immigration. We need people working. Uh, Iowa is losing population. And um, I hear from business leaders all throughout, including in Republican-leaning counties and Democratic-leaning counties, that they need uh, law-abiding, responsible uh, immigrants there uh, working in those communities. Representative Bohannon, we have about two minutes left. I want to ask you, if you were to be elected to Congress to represent Iowa, what would be your top, say, three legislative priorities as a freshman congresswoman, and uh, which committees would you most like to serve on? So um, I would love to serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I think that that's um, an important committee for Iowa, uh, first of all, because one of my uh, priorities would be to revitalize our small towns and our small businesses. Um, I would look to bring manufacturing back to the United States. Things like semiconductor manufacturing could be great opportunities for our state. Um, you know, uh, the recent uh, Chips and Science Act actually uh, did support bringing jobs back from places like China and Taiwan to the United States of so semiconductor manufacturing. Um, also, uh, health care. We really need to work on health care in Iowa. Our rural hospitals are shutting down. Uh, just recently, we heard about the latest one in Keokuk. Uh, you know, they, they may, be, may be facing not only losing their hospital, but even their emergency room. That is very scary for a lot of people. Uh, we need to invest in our health care uh, system. And so um, I, I would want to revitalize small towns, bring manufacturing back here. Um, also, um, you know, our, our health care system for sure, bringing those health care costs down and helping our small businesses reduce those health care premiums, which are so important right now. Thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, State Representative Christina Bohannon, Democratic uh, challenging, um, uh, Democrat challenging incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks in Iowa's newly drawn first congressional district. We appreciate uh, you coming into our studio, Representative Bohannon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ben. 
Coming up after a short break, our series of conversations uh, with congressional candidates continues. Yesterday, I sat down with State Senator Liz Mathis. She's challenging first-term U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, a Republican for Iowa's newly drawn 2nd District. And that's what we'll listen to when we return. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Less than three weeks until Election Day. Of course, uh, early voting is uh, ongoing right now. Uh, and this half hour, we continue our series of conversations with Iowa congressional candidates. want to mention again that all of Iowa's major party congressional candidates have been invited to share their views here on River to River. Joining us this half hour, Democratic candidate for Iowa's new 2nd Congressional District, State Senator Liz Mathis. Uh, she's been a, an Iowa State Senator since 2011, former anchor and reporter for both KCRG-TV and KWWL. She is challenging first-term U.S. Representative Ashley Henson, a Republican. They are two former broadcast journalists now competing to represent Iowa's newly redrawn 2nd Congressional District in the U.S. House. And a note to our listeners, due to scheduling issues, this conversation recorded yesterday afternoon, Wednesday, October 19th. Uh, Senator Liz Mathis, welcome to our studio. Thank nice to you, see you. Thank you, Ben. I heard you took a little sneak peek at the early voting. You walked down the street. And I did just a few you, minutes ago. Good for you. I did, and just to see how uh, people were taking advantage, and we want everybody to get out and vote and exercise their right as a as a citizen of this state and this country. We do. We do. You know, I was at a town hall for Deidre DeGere the other night, and I said, how many are you, how many of you are getting your ballots mailed to you? Mm-hmm. About four people out of about 50, four people raised their hand. I said, oh, well, how many are early voting? Everybody's hands went up. So we need to take advantage of that early voting. So thank right. you for going and taking the sneak peek. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the key issues that we've been talking about with many of our congressional candidates. This week, President Biden vowed that if voters elect more Democratic senators and keep the House, and you may be part of that, keeping the House in the uh, Democratic column, he will send a bill to Congress to codify abortion protections into law. Specifically, what abortion protections do you support at a federal level? So, Ben, you know you've covered uh, state the state house, and you know that I have stood up on the floor of the state senate and protected women and women's reproductive rights and health care. So I was the chair of Health and Human Resources, which is Health and Human Services Policy, for almost 10 years in the Iowa State Senate. And so I will actually chair for about five years and then ranking member for the rest. But I, you know, I always defend a woman's right to choose, always. Um, And I want to be the woman 
the woman's candidate. And I want to make sure that government stays out of a woman's decision. And I don't believe that my opponent, Ashley Henson, should be deciding the best reproductive rights for women in in the state of Iowa or across the United States. So she has signed on to a bill. She's co-sponsored a bill that would outlaw abortion across the United States with no exceptions for the life of the mother or for rape or for incest. I believe that's wrong. There needs to be some empathy here. I was knocking doors in Hiawatha, and uh, a woman stopped me on the street. She pulled her car up, and she started talking to me and said, "Uh, listen, listen, um, I I go to church right up there. She pointed to the Catholic Church, and she said, I am pro-life, but I believe in exceptions. She said, that's where I draw the line. We must have empathy. We must have empathy for the person who is is in dire straits right, with their cl- pregnancy. To be clear, at a federal level, if you would be part of such a decision, where would where would those protections end? How would you define that more specifically in, in protecting access to abortion? The protections are about is a discussion between the woman and her doctor. Mm-hmm. You ask where it ends. The, it ends with their conversation. Well, for instance, your um, opponent has said you and other uh, Democrats support abortion, quote, on demand until birth. That is untrue. That is untrue. We know that abortion is illegal here in the state of Iowa in the last trimester, but the decision should be between a doctor and the woman who is having her baby. There are complications that occur in the last trimester. There are things that happen. I have received emails and letters from women who are, you know, have had the umbilical cord has been wrapped around a baby's neck and the baby has died. And, uh, and so should they carry the fetus uh, until they start to go into labor. That is an issue that the doctor and the woman should decide. That's the decision that should be made. We're not doctors. Legislators, government electeds are not doctors. We shouldn't be making that decision. Uh, State Senator Liz Mathis with us this half hour talking about some of the key key issues. Uh, Let's move on to a key issue that um, uh, Republicans across the country, including your opponent, are are, uh, talking a lot about and is a great concern, major concern for voters in this election, inflation. What are your plans to address inflation and and higher costs facing consumers? Of course, Republicans claiming that spending approved under the Biden administration really driving up this administration when we talk about the CARES Act uh, uh, that approved in 2020 under President Trump, the American Rescue Plan, uh, other other, uh, federal spending. Uh, What is your view in in getting inflation under control? Mm -hmm. The costs are higher. We know that. <laughs> I pumped gas this morning. It was a little bit lower for ethanol. The ethanol I choose, E15, was was much lower. I think that was at 260. So we know costs are higher. We know that we have to work to bring those costs down. We look in our grocery bags and see fewer items in there, you know, when we go through the checkout. So we're all very aware of it. We, um, you know, by telling people how this happened, it doesn't help your bottom line. But inflation is global. And we, Russia did invade Ukraine, and it upset our markets quite uh, dramatically, especially around oil. So uh, let's look at what's happened 
to lower gas prices. Uh, E15 was approved for the entire country. So we want to carry that out. We want to keep doing that. We want to keep drilling. And uh, Joe Biden just uh, announced that he's releasing another 15 million barrels of oil out of the reserve uh, to put into production. And these are all good things. We need to make sure that our supply is still there for safety reasons because, you know, we, you know that's what a reserve is there for. We know that Biden needs to stand up to OPEC and he needs to talk to them about production cuts that OPEC has made. So so on one hand, it's gas prices. In in the state of Iowa, I, I saw a story just yesterday that gas has gone down another seven cents. So um, our gas prices are proceeding downward. But the elections are 20 days away. And so we want to get that message out to people that, you know, we know there are hard times. I grew up on a farm. Yep. I get it. I but, know but let's hard talk about times. The, the, the spending here, because economists argue about whether government spending is really driving the inflation in part. We know it's worldwide in inflation here, but what's your view on that? Too much federal spending coming out of Washington? We just, Under the Democrats? Well, we just went through COVID. <laughs> Could anybody predict what would happen there? We know that unemployment is low. We know wages are up. We know this is, you know, uh, I think it's the second in history to see job growth right now. So our economy is moving. It is moving. And we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, that was presented. Insulin is capped to $35 right now. For those on Medicare, we know that uh, Medicare costs, out-of-pocket costs, will be uh, capped at $2,000 a year. That is to celebrate. We know that prescription drug costs will be negotiated. And Amy Klobuchar was here not too long ago. She did a health care roundtable with me in Cedar Rapids. And she said, we'll start with 10. There were, there were pharmacists at the table saying, which 10, which 10? Start with 10 prescription drugs and then go to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So we'll see that happen. Now, now that's long term. Short term, we know that insulin's capped. Infrastructure, you know, $5 billion of money reinvested in the state of Iowa. Good jobs, good pay, uh, fixing 4,000 endangered roads, you know, gr- you know, building, rebuilding, uh, you know, roads and bridges. And right. you're, you're touting a lot of the Biden agenda here that has been accomplished. Significant. No one denies significant accomplishments. Significant. Uh, accomplished. Are, are there any parts of the Biden agenda that you would say, mm, I wouldn't have been supportive of that? Oh, sure. Like? Quite, quite a few things like the border. It's a mess. The southern border. You know, it's a mess. We need to make sure that, um, you know, when you look at pictures, depending on what station, TV station you're watching, the visuals, or what newspaper you're reading, there are problems at the border. And we need more border patrol. We need to focus on building that up. We need more technology. You know, uh, the paperwork is causing, the buildup is causing people from coming into this country legally. They're languishing at the border. And and I just talked to someone this morning who, um, you know, places people in factory jobs and meatpacking jobs. Mm-hmm. And he said there are openings. We need to put people right. in those openings in order to keep producing meat that will help, you know, our protein count out in the United States. So, so would it be good, that. for instance, for Iowa to have the number of work visas increased um, from the cap it is right now? Well, I think, the, I think their main point or their main 
uh, goal should be a path to citizenship. We have watched Congress go and there, over. And, and they there just was keep a deal pushing 10 years ago. it and put yeah, and ten and years ago is not today. Right. So I turned to Ashley Hinson during our debate and said, "You're part of Congress." What have you do, done? You keep uh, arguing about what's happening at the border and pointing out uh, the frailties of, uh, you know, of what's happening at the border. Where, what's your solution? How come you're not solving this? That's our expectation. I think the American public wants a solution at the border. They want a safe border, and they want to make sure there is a path to citizenship. People come into our communities. We welcome them warmly. We make sure that they're placed in good jobs, and they contribute to our communities. That's what we want to have happen for them and for us. State Senator Liz Mathis has been in the Iowa legislature since 2011. She's now uh, challenging uh, first-term U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, uh, a Republican. Let's get to another couple of points. You sort of touched on this earlier in the conversation. Let's talk about Iowa and biofuels. You know, biofuels originally sold as a bridge fuel to the next transportation solution, but, you know, it's propped up uh, corn prices. I think more than half of our corn in this state goes towards biofuels, huge part of the political landscape as a consequence. Should Iowa be looking to move away from its dependence on ethanol production as we contemplate uh, the challenge of climate change? Well, let me start at the beginning on that question. (laughs) Ben, your eyes are going to cross when I start here. But Look, I grew up on a farm. My mom and dad were World War II vets. So to just give you an idea of this, they were World War II vets. They came back. My mom was in the cadet corps. She was a nurse and and came back and was the town doctor's nurse. And my dad then farmed. We had a 600-acre farm. And I worked hard. I did chores. I, you know, drove a 40-20 John Deere tractor. That's how I learned how to drive. Um, You know, I detasseled corn. Uh, (laughs) I have lots of stories about that, but I won't go into it. But I watched my dad... Um, He was on the county conservation board, and he went to an ISU training, and the training was about no-till farming. And so he came back and he argued with my mother about where he was going to put this field because it was going to be weedy, right? Mm -hmm. And so he put soybeans in the first field, and it was the front 40 where the gravel road ran by. You know, everybody was driving by, and my mom said, they're going to think you've been drinking, you know, it's so weedy. And so, you know, three daughters, three sides, we went out there, knocked the weeds down. But what it showed me was innovation in doing something different with no-till so that his soil wasn't washing away during every spring shower and that he was able to still build up a good pH, you know, nutrient reduction strategy a la 1972. Now, that's the relevant part of this is that he did this in 1972. And other farmers started looking, you know, at him saying, well, what, what are you doing? Wait a minute. Yeah. They wanted to go halvesies into, you know, equipment with him. And they did. And so other farmers kind of picked this up. Now, how does this relate to biofuels? Yes. Let's yes. Get to how that. does it relate to biofuels? When we talk about corn production, we also need to talk about saving the soil. We need to talk about how we can produce cover crops to keep the soil in place to get those great yields so that we can sell to ethanol plants and we can produce ethanol so, your so answer, we can produce renewable. Yeah, so your answer to the question, should Iowa be looking to move away from its dependence on ethanol production, 
is, the answer to that question is, simply put, All right. Simply put, I had a discussion with Tom Vilsack when he was here in Iowa touting clean climate energy solutions. They are giving grants out through the USDA. And I asked him that very question. I said, will we see ethanol and electric fuel, if you will, collide? So, you know, Detroit, Motor City wants to produce electric vehicles. In fact, they're pushing the F-150, a a, a pickup truck, is what they're really pushing an electric vehicle because they want to win over those people who are in the midst of actually, uh, you know, growing corn and working on the farm and producing food for people. So, So the consumer will decide on EV. What we need to be ready for is when that happens. Vilsack told me there is a huge market for airplane fuel to make sure that it is a renewable fuel and it is not causing carbon emissions like it is now, that our footprint will be much smaller. So they are testing fuel for the airline industry made with corn, so with ethanol. So um, he believes that uh, the corn farmer, the corn producer, will always have a market for their corn. You know what? We have great soil. So we have a lot of organic farmers out there. We have a lot of uh, people who are doing fruit trees and apple orchards and all of that. So we are producing food for the American public as well. And and corn, the byproducts, can be turned into something called biochar. It's a new type of fertilizer that you, you zap a byproduct and you make it into this charcoal and you put it on the field instead of anhydrous. So it's an economic circle. It's a, a market circle. And so there, there are a lot of things out there that we can be working on. And I want to be in the center of that, Ben. I want to be part of that conversation. But when we have that conversation, farmers have to be at the table. We can't continue to talk around them. Um, I think people who are very, you know, concerned about our climate and the farmer. The farmer's concerned about the climate, too. Shorter growing season, longer growing season, too, too wet, too dry. Of course they're concerned. There, there are many farmers out there that are good stewards of the land. But they also have to talk. There has to be an open conversation between them and the people who want to make sure that our climate is steady, that we're not going downhill. And not, you know, our climate is changing. Absolutely. We know that. And I believe in climate change. And I believe that it's man-made. And so, you know, we have to to make sure that we work together to make this reverse course or stop what we're doing now to try to make it better here. State Senator Mathis, let me get your view on on another key concern. We had some polling out on on that this week, um, national polling showing that regardless of party, very concerned about the state of our democracy, threats to our democracy, but somehow it's not a a, a top uh, priority for, for a lot of voters. Now, last week we had the U.S. House Committee on investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol, ha- holding its what we think is its last public hearing in Washington. Uh, but we also know a significant number of people are not paying attention to that, uh, to the, the committee's investigation, or don't believe the work that they are doing. What would you do as a U.S. representative to ensure confidence in the committee's eventual findings, especially among supporters of the former president who are not likely to be supporters of yours? I think you would agree. 
Yeah, I think you and I and everybody else, the day that the insurrection happened, we were staring at the television and just the horror of that. And um, as the FBI released one video after another, it was terrible. It was gut-wrenching. And when I've talked to people, whether it's a Democrat, independent Republican, people agree, at least who I've talked with, agree with with that the January 6th committee has to come has to has to call people to testify to get to the bottom of this. You know, I think Ashley Hinson, well, I know Ashley Hinson voted against the formation of the January 6th committee. And um, as a former journalist, I wanted to know why. Why did this happen? How did this happen? How do we stop it from happening again? And I think we need to trust the committee is going to come up with some good recommendations and that they're going to give those to the attorney general. And that's where we need to put our trust. Let's uh, let's imagine you would be elected uh, to the U.S. House of Representatives. You're elected, and uh, Democrats main control, maintain control of the U.S. House. Uh, let's just throw open the, the door here and ask you: What are your highest priorities on your agenda as a uh, freshman Congresswoman uh, in the U.S. House? Yeah. First of all, costs to families. How do we bring down? This inflation. How do we make sure that um, our costs are low, that we are making money? <laughs> you know, wages are high. There are jobs available. We're filling those jobs. We're training for those jobs. So everything around costs and cost of living. Secondly, Medicare and Social Security. Now we have heard some grumbling from the GOP and Ashley Hinson. My opponent has even said in a town hall that they are talking and having private meetings about the future of Social Security and Medicare. Whatever happens to those two programs has to be done transparently. People need to be able to give legislators feedback on that and give them ideas about that. And it needs to be in, you know, out in the open. So um, we know that it is a social safety net. We know uh, Social Security, you've paid into that. My parents were sick at the same time. My dad had valve replacement. Mm-hmm. and have got just a few seconds left, but sure, go ahead. And yeah. my mom had Parkinson's. So I know how important Medicare and Social Security are, and I'll always say that. Thirdly, reproductive rights. I'll go to Washington. I want to codify Roe. The Democratic candidate for New Iowa's new 2nd District, State Senator Liz Mathis, in the studio with me. This recorded on Wednesday the 19th. Uh, State Senator Mathis, thank you very much for, for this conversation. Thanks, Ben. And a reminder that all of Iowa's major party congressional candidates have been invited to share their views here on River to River, including Representative Ashley Henson. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.